to The Curious Mother, a place where we unpack all things related to mothering. This is a community where we aim to create a comfortable space that allows for active discussion without judgment. Find us at thecuriousmother.com and follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at thecuriousmother. Welcome back to The Curious Mother. I'm Kristen Daly. I'm Melissa Miller. And we are really excited because today we are joined by Dr. Terry James. And Terry has her PhD in clinical and school psychology, and she specializes in academic achievement and child development. So welcome, Terry. Thank you for having me. Terry, while you're here, we are dying to pick your brain about helicopter parenting. Can you tell us what a helicopter parent means? You know, it's such a common term these days, but it actually, the roots of the term actually go back to 1969. So this is really not a new concept. It just became very popular in the 90s with Love and Logic, um, which is a fantastic book and made a lot of people familiar with this concept of parents that are too involved, excessively involved with their children, and tend to swoop in and rescue them, Um, stop those children from making mistakes, stop those children from learning what to do when they make mistakes, but the parents really feel that this is the right thing to be doing to protect their children. So, Terry, how would you know if you are a helicopter parent? Because I would imagine it's hard for any parent to watch their kiddo make mistakes. I think that's a really good point. Um, I think you probably know it if other people are telling it to you as your first (laughs) clue. Um, And I think a lot of that tends to come from grandparents who say things like, I managed to raise you without X, Y, and Z. Um, And I think you have to balance it. I think we do live in a more dangerous society than we did before. And that's really where this whole idea of helicopter parenting, they think, kind of took off. You know, in the 1980s, for example, with this whole child danger and all these awful things happening with kids, parents got overprotective for a true reason. You couldn't just send your kids down the block to play in the same way. We needed to know where they were. And with the advent of cell phones and our ability to track where our kids are and their cars and their phones, it fed into this nature of being overprotective. And there are benefits to knowing where your kids are, but there are also detriments because we're not allowing them to spread their wings. So, yeah, let's talk about the downsides of parenting. You said that if they don't make mistakes, then they're not going to learn what to do. Can you explain more about why our kids need to make mistakes or fail? All of the research on resiliency shows that you become more resilient when you learn from your mistakes. And what we're doing to our kids by swooping in there and preventing them from making the mistakes in the first place is we're taking away their ability to problem solve. And it might not seem like a big big deal for a five-year-old not to know how to problem solve and to share. But what happens when that child doesn't know how to problem solve and share on the playground or in middle school or as they get older? And that's the trend that the research is really showing with the helicopter parenting is that these children don't have that resiliency. They don't have that problem-solving ability. So when they do fail, they're devastated and they don't know how to get themselves out of situations by problem solving. So let me, let me play devil's advocate for a second here. What if you have a parent who's like, well, my kid doesn't need to learn to fail. I'll just tell them how to do it. <laughs> I'm teaching them that way. That's great. But there's a difference between teaching and doing. So I think there is a benefit to parents teaching their children what to do and how to make good choices. 
I think the challenge for any parent, including myself, is then stepping back and allowing your child the ability to either make that choice or not. And if they don't make that choice, dealing with those natural consequences. So for example, if your child chooses not to do their homework, it's very hard for parents not to be like, no, you have to do your homework, it's required. But if the natural consequence is that they lose something at school or the teacher is disappointed, then they need to make the choice what to do. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I feel like I'm always advocating for natural consequences, but also as a behaviorist, I think I behind the scenes hope to manufacture like more extreme consequences, you know, and so I know um, with my oldest, uh, when in first grade, they do the 100th day of school, 100th day of school, and they have to do some type of an individual project that celebrates the number 100. And um this was, for me, the first opportunity to give my son the chance to do something on his own. And um, I was trying to nudge him along. In particular, I was really hoping he would pick 100 Legos and build something with his 100 Legos. That seemed like a really good way to, to handle this project. And he decided that he wanted to cut uh, to count out 100 grains of rice and put them in a Ziploc baggie. And that was his project. And I... Um, and more than a little bit of an overachiever and was mortified that he was going to walk into school with his Ziploc bag with rice grains in it. And the funny thing was we walk in and um, one of the kiddos in his class had, had with nails hammered out the name of the school on a plaque of wood and tied string around it to make it look very nice in first grade and um and you know and there's my son with his ziploc baggie and i was for sure that the teacher was going to shame him for such a simple project and maybe it was also kind of encouraging a little bit that there could be some reaction to it because i I wanted him to have a sense that he should have worked harder you know I mean, I recognize he was not going to be nailing things into wood. But the funny thing was the teacher was actually pretty defensive about his project because she said that it was really complicated to count out 100 grains of rice and you had to keep up with the number and it required fine motor coordination. So it kind of, in a way, I guess to me, blew up in my face because I was hoping for for stronger consequences. <laughs> but I would imagine that still is not, not helicopter parenting, right? <laughs> No, probably not. I think that's just um, having a different perspective of what's appropriate for that developmental age. Um, And yay for the teacher for recognizing his effort. Um, I think the helicopter parenting thing is really the swooping in and rescuing. And I think that when we talk about parenting, none none of this is particularly new. The styles of parenting go back a long time in the research. Um, we just kind of change the names depending on what's on trend at the moment. But what we know from the research, if you look back um, at Bomberg's um, original research, there are different types of parenting. The authoritative is really what we're looking for. And that's the warm and firm, the ability to make choices, make mistakes, and learn from them. But you've got the extremes, right? You've got the authoritarian, which is just, you know, strict and no room for error and tough consequences but no problem solving and then you have the neglectful on the other side which is like the parents that just don't pay any attention the kids are free reign but no guidance Mm -hmm. so that's really the balance when we talk about parenting styles that we're still talking about Mm -hmm. it's just that the terms sort of change this idea of the helicopter parenting the coming in and rescuing is sort of 
what's taking away the kids' ability to make their own decisions. Um, and I do understand that there's a lot of anxiety from parents about allowing your child to walk in with a project that's going to shame him in front of his <laughs> right. whole school and a little bit you, that you've yeah. got this child that doesn't make the effort. And that's a, I mean, that's a true balancing act. I think there's so much pressure in such early ages right now for kids to be successful at everything mm-hmm. and to always be achieving and it's hard to find the balance as a parent to say, okay, you know what? This isn't his thing. Yeah. Or it's okay if this time it's not his thing. And Terry, you had also said that we have helicopter pan- parenting, but I think you also had called it hover parenting as being kind of a newer form of the helicopter. Tell us a little bit about that. So the helicopter parenting was the idea of like rushing into rescue. And then the hovering parenting was kind of like, I'm going to hang back, but I'm right here. <laughs> um, so, again, you want to offer your kids that guidance and that security. We don't want that neglectful parent. We don't want a parent that's not there. But you don't want to hover too closely either. Maybe we should call it hover from a distance parenting. Yeah. And yeah. every once in a while, disappear and see what happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when we when you saw, talk about neglectful parenting, though, I think a lot of parents who might start to attempt to not helicopter are going to feel like neglectful parents. So how do we help parents feel okay about stepping back, letting our kids fail, make mistakes, do it on their own, and not feel like a horrible parent? Probably starting small. Um, you know, stop the rescue would be the first advice. Um, and start with small things. Like if he doesn't want to do Legos and he wants to put the rice in the bag, that's a great example of a situation where you can let your child make their own choices where really no matter which way it goes, nothing bad's really going to happen. Listen, safety always comes first. And, you know, I say this to the parents I work with all the time too. If your child wants to ride a skateboard without a helmet, nope, that's not an okay choice to make ever. But if they want to ride a skateboard instead of their bicycle and you have them both in your house, those are the types of choices that you can start letting them make. And giving your child choices is a great way to show them that you trust them to make their own choices and to make the right ones, especially when either choice is really fine. And that's a good way to show your child that they're capable of making decisions and for parents to feel like, okay, they're getting it, they're learning. I can step back and they're going to be okay. I think I'm thinking of parents and I think there's two things. There's the anxiety of my kid might fail and what does that mean? But also I think sometimes we think it's easier if we just do it instead, right? Mm-hmm. Like and I'm I'm thinking of a situation at my kid's school, they have an activity log. And they, if they record a certain day, a certain number of activity, their PE teacher twice a year has a big event reward. Oh, yeah. Well, I am terrible at keeping logs, and I'm not going to track my kids' <laughs> activity. So I have told them, all right, here's your log. You want to do it, you track it, which they, of course, never do. But then the event comes, and they are furious that they don't get to go mm. to the trampoline park or to the party. And so I now have to deal with my kids being really upset. And so there is this pull of like, oh, if I had just filled it out for them, I wouldn't have to deal with their crabby attitude, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So how do we help parents know that sometimes if our kids are mad at us and it sucks to deal with them because they're furious with the consequences, it's still the right thing? And again, I think you have to balance out what's the harm if they don't get to go to the trampoline park versus did they learn a lesson? Was there a natural teaching moment in that, that next year if you want to go, you have to do this yourself? I'm with you, though. Like, as a mom and a busy mom, 
the, sometimes the requirements of the school, like signing the log. And if you don't sign the reading log, they don't right. get to do things. It's a lot of pressure. I appreciate the teachers are trying to do their best, but sometimes I just want to say, no, my kid has it, and if they don't, that's okay. They'll have to deal with those consequences. But again, it's that balancing act. And there's no there's no one right answer for everybody, yeah, which is, yeah. I think, also a really important point to make. What works in my house might not work in your house. And there is no one-size-fits-all with parenting. You know, every family is unique. Our kids are different. On any given day, yeah. my kids are different. <laughs> um, you know, so I think that that's a really important part of parenting is recognizing strengths and weaknesses and what works in your family and what's just never going to work in your family. Mm-hmm. Um, my my son, who would be very mad if he knew I was telling this story, um, <laughs> left his lacrosse clothes home last year. And he texted me while I was at work and asked me to bring them to school. And I said, sorry, I'm at work. Yeah. And then he texted my husband, who texted me and said, well, you have to bring those clothes. I said, I'm at work. Yeah. Um, and he was very upset. He yeah. was very upset at me. And I said, well, you got to have a system where you check this and you learn. And you know what? He didn't forget his clothes again. So was he really mad at me that day? Yes. When I told the story to my mother, she was so mad at me. Yeah. She was like, do you know how many times I ran over and brought you your clothes or did this for you or did yeah. this for you? And I'm like, yeah, but that's not how I want to raise him. I want him to learn that he has to be responsible. And there will be times where I can help him and times where I'm at work and there's literally nothing I can do, even if I wanted to. Yeah. I always think that that's one of the ways that it can be helpful for those of us who are anxious about letting them fail. Like when we can't interfere with it, it's in a way it's a godsend for us because then they have to, we have to all have to roll with it. Even though it's not fun. And I will tell you, I was, I was just thinking, Melissa, about something you said about sometimes it's easier to do it for them. <laughs> and I think a lot of parents feel that way. So when you think about that, though, think about tying your child's shoes. So when they're little, we just tie their shoes for them, right? Because we got to get out of the house and it takes forever. And we have an entire generation of seven-year-olds that still don't know how to tie their shoes. (laughs) (laughs) I see it on the baseball field, the coach Uh, walking around tying shoes in the middle of the game. (laughs) And I don't think that's because our kids have less fine motor skills than they used to. I really, truly think it's because we are all in such a rush that we're like, let's go. I'll tie your shoes in the car. Right, right. Uh, yeah, that I mean, that kind of is an interesting point to put in that, you know, maybe us being overscheduled actually has contributed to us putting more effort into making things easier because it does make things easier. It's like if, you know, something is going to trigger, uh, we have one kiddo in particular in my house that is easy to trigger a temper tantrum. And frankly, like, I think things get a little easier for her because we all, we call it poking the bear and we all don't want to poke the bear. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and right. and it's just hard because I know that her that's not helping her learn how to manage her attitude at all. But at the same time, there are some days when you're like, I just want to survive and I don't want to have to be 20 minutes delayed because we're going right. to have to sit through tantruming. And I think that when you talk about parenting, that's a great perspective because, again, not every day is going to be the same. And there are days where you just got to do what you got to do to get through the day. And then there are days where you're like, nope, this could be a teachable moment. And that's where you yeah. can choose to sort of emphasize and talk about those things. And again, there's no one rule that's going to fit everybody every time. 
I do think parents need to be aware of, like, how far are they pushing the goalpost, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're like, oh, I'll teach them to tie their shoes at 5. Ah, uh, we got to hurry. At seven's fine. Mm-hmm. At when we keep kind of pushing, we, we never really give ourselves permission to allow ourselves to be hard. Like, it's going to yeah. be hard. There's never always the right time where it's like, oh, this is easy. They're, they're <laughs> learning the lesson so well. Like, we have to make sure that we're not just continuing to be like, oh, later, later. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's funny because um, when I'm working with families, I'm always trying to think of stories I can tell that can highlight these traits or these um, these models that will make more sense for them. And I was racking my brain on how to explain what it is to be a helicopter parent or you know that authoritarian parent versus authoritative versus um, neglectful. And um, I came up with this idea of being at a climbing wall. And you know, like if you go to a climbing wall. You'll see, like, some parents will drop their kids off, and they're like, see ya, and they leave, and they're not there to, to supervise at all. And, like, that would be neglectful parenting, right? And that's scary for kiddo because they've got to figure out everything on their own. And then you have the parents who are at the bottom of the climbing wall, like, yelling at them, like, that one, the next one, you're right, the other right, you need to be right. And, and, you know, and that parent, like, the poor kid is so terrified that they're making bad decisions just because they're so afraid of their parents' emotional response and the amount of control that they're not going to want to climb the wall, you know. And so, to, like, to be, like, the authoritative parent is the one who can be there. They're not leaving the climbing wall, but they're also going to pull back enough And it's kind of that, like, hovering from a distance, you know, where I'm not leaving you feeling like you're on your own, but at the same time, I'm not yelling at you every move you make. But it's hard. That's an awesome example. And (laughs) and especially since you have to belay your kids when you go to those climbing walls anyway, I kind of like that because you're, like, holding the rope, but you're letting them do it on their own, but they're not going to fall. And I think that's the difference between the helicopter parenting, and that's, like, a great segue in, is, like, those parents are the ones who – don't ever let the kids fall at all. Mm-hmm. You've got them. You, you can let them go a little bit and still know that they're safe. Yeah, yeah. I often hear from parents there's a big difference between kind of learning life lessons and self-sufficiency, but different when it comes to grades because parents are so scared to let their kids fail because what if they don't get to get into the college I want them to get into? So how, how, do, we, how do we help those parents? I don't know yet I have, <laughs> well, because I have a child that's about to start high school. So I always, I've been saying to a lot of my clients, you know, I can tell you what to do, but when my kids' grades are suddenly quote unquote real and they count for something, I hope I can remember these lessons. I think that, let me talk, let me talk about this in a couple of parts. So one part is when they grade homework. Mm-hmm. Um, as a professional, I have a real problem with that because if you grade homework, then I think parents feel like, well, this is an easy grade and they should, I should check it. They should redo what they already did wrong and this should be an easy grade. And by doing that, the kids don't learn. The teacher doesn't know what they don't know. And I think that that really creates a big problem. Um, where my kids go to school right now, they do not grade homework. And they say to us, please don't help your kids with your homework. If they don't know something, they need to email us. Um, we need to know what they need to know. And for me, that has helped me back off mm-hmm. and probably given me the permission not to be anxious about yeah. it. Because the school's like, no, this is our problem. We want to deal with it. And I'm like, great, because yeah. I don't. Mm-hmm. And that teaches the kids, if I don't understand something, I need to go talk to my teacher. Mm-hmm. In terms of the grades counting and the college and the pressure on our kids, the best advice I can give parents truly is as adults, we know we're not good at everything, okay? We specialize. Wait, wait, we're, we're not? 
Nah. <laughs> I'll speak for myself. Excuse me. Um, I am not good at everything. Math is just not my thing. I don't like it. I use a calculator, okay? I got through all my math requirements and graduate statistics. I did what I need to do. I was going to say, and got a dual PhD. So it seems to be okay. It's worked for But you. now I use a calculator, and yeah. I work with people, and I don't do a lot with math. And that's the way my brain strengths and weaknesses lay out. And I found a career that gels with that. Mm -hmm. In order to be a straight A student in high school, you have to be good at English, history, math, science, and electives. And most people's brains are not wired to be excellent in all of those domains. Mm -hmm. So what I would try to tell parents is it's okay if your child doesn't excel in every single subject because they're going to find where they should be by focusing on their strengths and acknowledging their weaknesses. There's nothing wrong with getting your kid help in a class where they're struggling, but also have a realistic view of what struggling is. I mean, one of the first things I say to parents when they say, oh, he's bombing. I'm like, well, what does bombing mean to you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of amazing the range of answers. Yeah, I mean, I, I have some girls who come in devastated over test grade, but when I hear that they got an 87 yeah. and they're devastated, I just realize they have really, really unfair expectations and they're they're going to really struggle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And where are those expectations coming from and what are we modeling for mm-hmm. our kids? So, you know, have me back in a year and ask me the question again and mm-hmm. I might tell you a different response. But as a parent of a child who's about to start high school, I'm hoping that I can remember my own advice, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, he's going to do well in certain subjects. Other ones are going to be more challenging. We'll get him the support he needs to do the best he can do. Mm -hmm. And he's going to end up at the right school for him. That is huge. I think that that I really want parents to think about, like, what is the right school for your child? Not what you think they're, where they need to be. I mean, the truth is, as we all look at our career path, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if we're driven, if we've learned how to work hard, get ahead, you can be successful if you go to a whole range of schools, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, what about, so, you know, I'm not a huge believer in, in parents trying to stay on top of kids' homework and like really being overly invested in what they're doing as far as turning in assignments. But sometimes what I'll hear is that it's actually the teachers reaching out to the parents saying, your kiddo hasn't turned in anything in this class for three weeks. You need to be on it. What can the parents say to teachers in that scenario where they're having pressure put on them to be more surveilling of the of their assignments? I think part of that is with the technology today that they post all the assignments yeah. and when things are turned on in and not in um, online that it's easier to track that and therefore it should be done. Um, I think you need to teach your children how to stay on top of that. Um, You know, so again, at at our school, they post assignments in the Google calendar. So we will, I will say to my kids, all right, let's go through your Google calendar. What do you have? Okay, go for it. Mm -hmm. So is maybe that's the hover from a distance kind of thing. Like I'm still there. I know what they need to do, but I'm not necessarily making sure that they turn it in. Mm -hmm. They need that responsibility. I think when the teachers come back to the parents, though, that this is missing, this is missing, I think that they're very well intentioned. Mm -hmm. And you have to give credit to a teacher who's communicating with a parent and not letting things fall through the cracks um, and reaching out. I think that that's the time where the parents say, thank you so much for letting me know. 
can we schedule a meeting where we're all present and you can share your concerns with my child and we can come up with some type of plan? The onus doesn't have to be on the parents. It has to be on the kid. But, again, that's also developmental. Mm-hmm. Are we talking about a second grader? Are we talking about a ninth grader? Eighth Hopefully. Grader. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hopefully. I was going to say we're talking yeah. about something in between because yeah. ideally we want these kids to learn the skills so that by the time the grades, quote, unquote, count, mm-hmm. they're able to do it on their own more. Yeah. Yeah. I'm even thinking, I know I hear from a lot of teachers and whatnot that it's the parents reaching out of their concern instead of them directing the kids to reach out. And I even Mm -hmm. think younger, the skills needed to do that. I know we make our kids order at order their own food at a Mm -hmm. restaurant, Mm -hmm. and that's terrifying for my kids, and they are scared. But even things like that, like making them go through something hard so they can learn how to speak up and advocate for themselves developmentally there's a lot of opportunities at every age instead of just doing what's easiest and me ordering for the table mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and again that's the, that idea of baby steps towards independence so that's a pretty benign situation mm-hmm. even if it feels really uncomfortable for your kids no matter what they say to the waiter or waitress the waiter or waitress isn't really going to judge them or right. say no you can't right. have that because you didn't speak clearly and didn't make <laughs> eye contact you get no you know you don't get french fries so it's a good situation <laughs> no to food teach for you <laughs> it's a good situation to teach your kids because there's a very very low risk of true failure mm-hmm. but it puts them in a situation where they get to gain confidence um, and grades are just always going to be a tricky issue. Yeah. I mean, there's just there's no easy solution to this, and there's no magic bullet to fix it. The more pressure we put on our kids, the more pressure they're going to feel. Mm-hmm. I do think it's interesting too, like having you know some training and assessment. Though I I don't do assessment anymore. I've always been surprised just how off I am in assessing my own kids you know you would think like all of those years of like studying this would make you good at recognizing it but I would it's terrible you know I remember um one of my kiddos it was recommended that they get an IQ test because they were kind of ahead of the pack but to me they seemed really average and I thought that that seemed like a big waste of time and energy until I actually happened to do an IQ test on a similarly aged kiddo and realized that I had was way off because I thought that kiddo was going to have a like a good 30 point lower IQ than they did and I was like apparently you are not seeing this kiddo clearly you know but I do think it's like it's important to always be able to recognize we aren't great at being intuitive at where our kids are developmentally unless we try to give them opportunities and also I think knowing what's appropriate at any given developmental age I mean I I find that when I'm working with parents, a lot of what I do is education of, nope, that's normal. Um, so many parents, when they will come to me with preschool kids, for example, they'll be like, he can't sit in a restaurant for more than 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm like, that's normal. normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what are you bringing with you? Not an iPad, please. Um, at the <laughs> table to keep him occupied while he's waiting for the food. Are you playing games? Are you coloring? Are you going around the dinner table and saying, you know, your best moment of the day? What are you doing to keep that child engaged? Because expecting a five-year-old to have an attention span the same as an adult at a table isn't appropriate. And sometimes that's enough with parents to kind of get them to be like, oh, okay, it's not the child, it's my expectations. Mm-hmm. And that is sometimes the easier part of parenting is when we can get the parent to change how they're treating the child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, any, um, any, so it sounds like the baby steps for trying to become less surveilling, less hovering, are allowing for small failures. Also trying to understand where your kid is developmentally and whether or not you know, your, your expectations match what they can do. 
Any other pieces that you would add to that puzzle? I would say reassurance to parents that it really is okay. Um, Wendy Mogul wrote this great book called The Blessing of a Skin Knee, and I would highly recommend that your readers, that your listeners go read it, excuse me, um, if they just need a little reassurance of why it's a good idea. Um, and she wrote a sequel also about the beauty of a B minus as well. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we're all on the same path of like, mm-hmm. you let them, you let them skin a knee when they're little because you teach them resilience that way. As it gets, they get older and the consequences become more real, it does become scarier. Mm-hmm. But you hope that they're learning the lessons along the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think if parents could have that assurance that by letting the kid mess up once in a while, they're actually doing them a favor in the long run. They're not hurting them. I think that parents would be more willing to let them take the risk. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, it's a hard balance. It's hard for me. I, you know, I, I can tell other parents <laughs> this because I have the degrees to do it. But yeah. in my own home, it's a real challenge. Yeah, and it's like it's important to be compassionate towards yourself right. when you're in that position because you know it would be so much easier to order for them or tie their shoes and yet you have a bigger view that they've got to be able to learn how to master that on their own. Yeah, one of the things I like that you said, Terry, is um, you are not a parenting expert. <laughs> <laughs> will, will you break that down for us, why, why you are not a parenting expert? Yes, because I don't like to be called an expert because I think it's very easy for a professional to give advice to others and very hard to follow your advice in your own home. And when someone calls me a parenting expert, I feel that that means I should be an expert parent. (laughs) Game on. And (laughs) I'm not. And anyone who knows me is laughing if they listen to this. But I own that. And that's okay. And I feel like by telling my children, I really messed up. I apologize. I said the wrong thing. I overreacted. I'm teaching them that that's part of being a family member and being human and having, like you said, compassion for myself, that it's okay if I make mistakes. Um, we all make mistakes. So I don't like being called an expert for that reason mm-hmm. because every day is a learning process, you know? Yeah. I really love how you say, like, it's okay to make mistakes. Like, having their the, a family rule of permission to make mistakes in our family, that's just really cool. Mm-hmm. Well, Terry, we are so grateful that you joined us today, and we're um, especially grateful for some guidance on how to loosen up the reins on our our kiddos. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Curious Mother. Learn more at www.thecuriousmother.com, where you will find resources related to episode topics. Please join our community and add your voice. Follow us on Instagram 